Yes, hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Oh, it's been all right. I've, I've got COVID, but I've been fine with it, which is... Um, good. All good. I've just eaten a, a huge amount of pastas if I'm like going to be playing a match in a few hours, but um, <laughs> all I'm going to do is sit here, record this and then go to bed, so... <laughs> Go get those carbs in, that's slow burning energy for the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Because sometimes it is a marathon, let's be honest. Sometimes it is a marathon, absolutely. Could be a marathon this episode. It could be a marathon this episode, Barney. That's very true because there's an awful lot to talk about. Obviously, Big Three all in action. Some drama at the top of the table, but also this week was a massive week uh, in the fight for Europe. Those sort of four teams outside the top four. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about games this week. We're going to talk about the big three. We're going to talk about all that stuff outside the big three and one or two games outside of that as well. So strap in, could be a long one. But we will make a little bit of time to begin to talk about transfers as it is the January transfer window. And we've been calling for it for the last two weeks, Barney. We've been saying all we talk about is outgoings. All we talk about is players being sold. We wanted a marquee signing. And boy, did we get it today. Wow, where did this come from? Kevin Morales is to join Morarens. It's happened so recently, I can't work out whether he was a free agent or what happened. All I know is that last year, the guy played 31 times for Gaziantep in Turkey. Who was the manager of Gaziantep last season, Barney? Ricardo Sarpinto. So Ricardo Sarpinto gets on the phone and brings his man to Portugal. A bizarre but incredible signing. I'm 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 really excited about this. I mean, I know he's 34 years old, but he played a lot of games last season, so it's not like he's washed up. No idea what to expect, but I'm here for it. I'm absolutely all for this, Albert. It's um, it's so exciting, isn't it? I think first of all, I think he hasn't really played for eight months, so I think right. he has been a free agent. But regardless of that, Kevin Morales was. I mean, ever since he was a fantastic player for Belgium, he's been a, a, a brilliant player, and also I think that's probably the most important thing, isn't it? Because I remember for Belgium, he's done a job at several positions and I think Sarpinto might be looking to utilise him in various different roles obviously I think the news come out today all but confirming uh, Felipe Suarez's departure from Marin so there's a gap in midfield that could be filled but all I want to see Albert is him on the left wing cutting in oh, man. probably hit <laughs> and this is it isn't it Albert because we talked a lot about Marin's and their managerial appointments this season mm-hmm. and, and, and the past few seasons all being messy but simply the fact that Sarpinto is their manager is the reason Kevin Morales is at this mm, club. Mm, and and you know, so there's a this this is the sort of manager they need and, and this is the sort of signing that's going to elevate them to the the level that we know that they want to be. A few interesting comments online that I saw Barney, a couple suggesting that this is possibly Morales' biggest ever signing, which mm. um I don't know too much about the history of the club, but it'd be hard to argue with that. Um a couple of people suggesting that uh, maybe uh, he could bring Stephen Pinar and Marouane Fellaini with him, get a bit of a oh. Everton Reunion going up more ends. Talk to me more about that. <laughs> no, but definitely a big signing, and, and it's going to be really interesting to see if he can get up to speed, see what level he's at, see what he can contribute. Because you know we've seen a, a slight increase in in Moran's performances recently. So if he can be come into that dressing room and you know inspire the players to to even take another step up, fantastic. You know why not? And I think another thing to say about this league, I know he is thirty four, which is sort of twilight of his career, but I do think this is a league where experienced players can excel you know it's not all about raw pace there's a lot of technical ability in this league and he's certainly got that so I think it's a exciting sign well let's talk about another signing from within the league Barney 
because Porto have made a move for Steven Yastakio. Uh, these reports are not quite yet confirmed. Pedro Sepulveda has said it's a done deal. So that's good enough for me. I think the player has even just now said his goodbyes uh, on social media. So we're guessing that that one's as good as done. Initially, this is going to be on loan with an option to buy end of the season. To me, that makes a lot of sense, I think, Barney, because you know Yastakio obviously a standout performer last year, done very well this year. Uh, Passos qualified for Europe and he was a key part of, of the midfield that, that saw them do so well in the league. I think we were both expecting him to have a big move in the summer. Um, it does seem to be a bit later than expected, obviously, but I think a, bit, a move to a big club in Portugal is, is certainly no less than he deserves after proving himself last year at Passos. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think part of the reason he stayed in the summer was, well, it would have been because of the Europe, uh, Europa Conference League. There was the potential of seeing the club that served him so well play in Europe. And I think that probably would have been one of the things that kept him there. But yeah, I mean, this move was always on the, the cards. And I think it's the, it's the best fit for me out of the, the big three clubs. I think he'll be a really good player for Conchasau and a useful player in that midfield. I think we're going to talk about this later. Obviously, Uribe's suspended uh, for the next game. But Sergio Oliveira has departed. You know, Grujic hasn't hit the floor running. There's definitely a, a, a chance for him to get a spot in this 11. From from what I've seen of him, I think he's good enough to start for Porto. I think he's a, he's a fantastic player. And one of those players where, where, like, you know, he's not banging in goals, he's not banging in assists, but he's, he's someone who ticks over that midfield and is, is a really important player for any team. Yeah, position-wise, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because, you know, a lot of their fans are obviously pointing to defence as an area that needs urgent reinforcement. I don't disagree with that, but nonetheless, I think adding a bit of quality to their midfield options is, is really important, especially, uh, as you say, suspensions and, of course, departure of Sergio Oliveira. I think, you know, you've got a couple of solid utility players there, Grujic and Aribe, but also, obviously, a wealth of attacking midfield talent, Patinha, Fabio Vera, Otavio. But a midfielder like Eustachio, who's kind of more happy to sit back uh, and help build the game as from a defensive midfield position, Great quality of pass on him. I think that kind of player, I think there is a gap for that player in that Porto midfield. And I think, uh, yeah, you can make yourself very useful. I mean, we should asterisk this conversation with, you know, we've seen what, we had the exact same conversations about Bruno Costa when he moved in the summer. Mm. You know, his, he had a great season at Pastor Ferreira. Porto have had a history of buying players from the league and sort of not using them as how much we ex- expect them to use them. But certainly in Yustakia, we've got the best hope of seeing someone to step up a level and also, you know, get a place in that team. It feels different, doesn't it? It feels different. It feels like he's one of the few players that they've signed from within the league who who uh, is been signed on merit and will have a spot uh, in that Porto squad. Well, let's do, let's do departures, Barney. Let's talk about some players leaving. A departure I know you'll be very sad to see happen. One that we touched on a couple of weeks back is as something that could be possible and has now been finalised. Elton Boamorte uh, has agreed to join Corfa Khan in the United Arab Emirates. No mention of a specific transfer fee, but he signs a 2.5-year deal with uh, the United Arab Emirates side. I think when we last spoke about this potential move, we agreed that if he was going to go, now would be a good time to go, just because uh, at his age and the kind of form he's on, I don't think they're ever going to get a higher fee for him than they will now. But Given the form of Portman which is something I think we'll come on to when we talk about the games, there is now a part of me that worries that selling one of your best players in a moment like the one they're currently in is not ideal. I think the thing with Bowen Morsi this season, though, Albert, is as a player for Portman he's been hell of a player consistent. He's um, 106 appearances, 20 goals, 15 assists, like a really, really good quality player. But I think this year what we've seen is 
occasionally he's been left out of the team, right? And I think, very, very rarely, but occasionally, I think we've seen Paolo Sergio be able to use a squad more, try different options, try different formations. And so if they're going to get money from this was the right time, as you said. And so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a obviously a huge move for him in terms of the, the money he'd be getting. And, and I'm, I'm glad to see him go. He's one of my favourite players in this league. I think a real a real workhorse, isn't he, on that wing? And the only the only criticism I have from Albert is that he just didn't seem the most consistent finisher. That was my only thing. Like if, if, if he had if he had goals in his game, I, I honestly believe he could be at like a Braga of a Zero Grimash. But, you know, the, he hasn't. And and so he, he needs to get his move somewhere else. And, and so, yeah, sad to see him go, but a good move for him. Uh, he will, of course, join a number of Lusophone players at Corfu Khan. Uh, five Brazilian players, uh, according to Wikipedia, on their books. One of whom, of course, is Douglas Tank, uh, a player we talked about a lot last season. He moved from Pastor Ferreira in the summer and who we joined. Enjoyed watching very much last season. Of course, not the only uh, bit of transfer business that Corfu Khan have been involved in, as they sent somebody the other way to the Premier League, Osama Rashid, who last played in midfield for Santa Clara, is on his way to Vizela. Um, I know you liked him a lot in his last spell in Portugal, Barney. So for any of our listeners who are not quite familiar with him, uh, the way he plays, what did you make of him? And, um, and do you think it's a good signing? I think it's a great signing for Vizela. I think it's a real quality to their midfield. He's a he's just he's a very skillful, tidy player, Albert. And he can play as an attacking midfielder, as a defensive midfielder. But what you're always going to get from him is a, is a neat, tidy player, good on the ball, good at keeping possession. And also got that ability to create goals or, and get goals himself. I think if it is time at Santa Clara, he got 25 goals, 15 assists. So, yeah, I think it's a, a good bit of business for him, uh, for, for Vizella, sorry. And I think, yeah, I'm, great. I'm excited to see him back. I always love watching him play. Well, let's get into it, Barney, and let's talk about the games of the week. And there's only one game that I think we're going to start with this week, the game we knew would be game of the week, Sporting versus Braga, a game which ended with Sporting losing their second game in their last three matches. Braga came from behind to win 2-1 with a 97th minute winner from 19-year-old French midfielder Jean-Baptiste Gorby. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that before Saturday night, I'd never heard of Gorby before, but after coming on in the 67th minute, he was certainly something of a hero by the end of the game after scoring that goal, which got Braga a surprise win in the Alvalade and gives him a five-point cushion on fifth place. Plenty to get stuck into here in this game, Barney. I will let you kick off. Where do you want to go with this one? First of all, I very much liked, I saw on Twitter, quite a few people sort of comparing Gorby's goal to Edda for Portugal in the Euros. That was... <laughs> was slightly like, slightly lower stakes. I <laughs> was all for that. Oh, it was a really good game, Albert. I think, I want to start with Braga. I think this is an absolutely huge result. And, you know, they had eight players under the age of 22 on the field. There was 12 players under the age of 22 on the, in the squad for this game. You know, we've seen a lot this season of youngsters being given a chance by Carver Howe. And I just think that if this was a big free team, I know they haven't got the best results. You know, they, we, I think we both agree they could have got some more wins throughout the season, but there's still been some really good performances like this one. And I just think that if this was a, a big free team, giving them out this many youngsters opportunities and, and, and playing the way they have, we'd be talking about so much. And yeah, I'm just so impressed with what Carver Howe has done with these players this season. I couldn't agree more. I think you have to give him credit for the way that he's uh, promoted these youth players so often this season, be it, you know, players sitting on the bench, coming on, uh, starting games. It's been fantastic to see so many times this season. And, you know, it just seems inevitable that in this game, it was another one 
who grabbed the highlights. Obviously, Gorby this time, he's only played a handful of times this season. He started his first game last week, gets himself a fairy tale goal, you know, and earns inside a fantastic result. It, you know, it's, it's as you say, wonderful to see and credit to Kvalia for doing it. I do think it's a funny, Barney, because after the first half of this game, I thought Sporting were going to comfortably win this one. I thought they they dominated the first half completely. They got that excellent goal through Pedro Gonzalez, really fantastic finish. But the second half was where things started to slide. And I think rather than progressing and building on a promising first half, I think they just somehow let the game get away from them. You know, obviously giving away a penalty doesn't help. And we can argue about the, the validity of that penalty in a moment. But regardless, Sporting, I think, should have had enough to kind of accept what happened with the penalty, not let it affect them, uh, and push on for the second goal. Well, this is what's really impressed me about this game. I think I remember last season, every time we talked about Braga, I always felt that if they went a goal behind or went down, there was no way they were coming back. They always had to be the first person team to score to sort of get a result. But this just shows the the change in, from the Braga of last season to this season with the introduction of youth. You know, these players had belief. They had maybe even the naivety not to sort of get bogged down in the, the way the game was going, the momentum, you know, they just got themselves out of it. So, yeah, I think that's 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 a huge difference from last season. I think the players for me, Albert, that sort of helped Braga, Braga get this ring, one was Diego Late in defence. I think mm. he was amazing. I think this is the best performance I've seen for him at Braga. You know, we've got David Carmo coming back soon from injury. That You know, that's going to hopefully just strengthen the defence, although it'd be interesting if Diego Late and him are up for this, the same spot in that back three that Carvalho sometimes plays. And the other player that was really important for them was Castro, I thought, coming back into that midfield. He's been out with a long time of injury, but... That bit of experience, we've obviously seen Maserati paired with several different players this season, but I think Castro and Maserati, you know, Castro had the most tackles for Braga in this game. And then, and him and Maserati went toe-to-toe with Nunes and Palini, I thought. And I think that really that really helps Braga. And then finally, Albert, a player that we've been quite critical of quite a lot this season, Abel Ruiz. He just caused Sporting's backline all sorts of problems. And it's mm. just because I felt like nobody wanted to step up and pick him up in, in the hole. And I think that's what helps help them find these 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 gaps in, in Sporting's defence was his his mobility and the the, the pockets of space he would occupy. So yeah, those are those are my key players for Braga. I think who, who, who steps up this game. I agree with that, and I think Abel Ruiz was almost unrecognisable. I don't know where that that performance came from, to be honest, because he, as you say, he was fantastic, and he was very unlucky not to score himself. He had one very, very good chance, I think, on his weaker his weaker foot, which uh, maybe is why it didn't find itself in the bottom corner. But very, very good performance from him. A very good performance from Braga throughout. You could say, however, Barney, that they did get a little bit of luck along the game. And I'm, of course, referring to the penalty. Maybe we're going to disagree with that on this one. I'm, I'm not too sure. But I will say that I do, I do struggle with the penalty call. And I think... If it is a penalty, it's a very, very soft penalty because for me, it's not even a tackle from Mateus Reese. I just see it as a kind of a tangle of legs, uh, two players getting caught up in each other. And the reason the ref gives the penalty is because Galeno, the player who he trips up, has just been passed the ball before the collision takes place. So it looks like a tackle, but for me, honestly, it just seems like two players getting tangled up and not a foul. But the ref gives it. I don't like it. But I can just about accept it. But I think you can argue about whether that's, you know, a bit of luck for Braga. But uh, equally, you know, it was a very good second half, a much improved performance and, and, and probably probably what they deserve. I think Amarin sort of put the 
the penalty down as the turning point in this game, didn't he? Mm. And mm. I think for me, it's you know it's one of those penalties. If if you're supporting one team, it's definitely a penalty. If you're supporting the other, it's definitely not. You know, and if the roles are reversed, yeah. same, same opinions reverse as well. I think this is what um, you know coming from. After that penalty, there's an issue that I've seen. I think we've seen a few times is that I don't think Amarin had a plan B. What seems to happen too much is that they rely on Kratos to go up top and to try and get a goal if if Paulinho isn't finding the, the the net. And I think a player that's really interesting to me at the moment is Thiago Thomas. You know, I think why isn't he the the plan B? Why isn't he the person to bring on to try and get a goal? Because mm. I just think it's clear that um, Amarin isn't trusting him. And I think in the press conference before the game, Amarin was asked about Thiago Thomas, and he said. I'll read out the whole quote because it sort of tells the whole story. He says, these are phases. We have to follow these players a lot, step by step. And look at what Kresmer is like, who is one of the first bets we had here and who is currently struggling to play for Tondea. It is the follow-up of their moment that we have to do. We will see. The market is still open. We have to think about Thiago Thomas and the other kids. And I think here he was basically saying that Thiago Thomas might be going out alone or he needs the game time to, to, to get up to fitness. And... You know, there's rumours, a lot of rumours about Edwards in this transfer window for sporting, isn't there? But Albert, I feel like they need a striker. They need someone that they can bring on who will get them a go. And they just cannot keep relying on Kratis to go up and, and do a job. Definitely doesn't seem the right time to be sending Thiago Thomas out on loan if that leaves you with your only striker as Paulinho, who, you know, for all the good work he does off the ball, seems to not be able to, to find a target when he should. I think that's uh, another key part of this game, the reason why sporting lost, you know, I, the thing that I always come back to is you can argue about the penalty and I, I do believe it was soft, but I go back to what I alluded to earlier that it shouldn't make a difference. The fact that Sporting can see this penalty at 1-1, Sporting should still have enough to kick mm. on and win the game. Don't get me wrong. They did create chances, you know, chances with varying degrees of quality, shall we say, but they failed to find the back of the net. Paulinho clipping the outside of the post from that header stands out as a particularly good chance miss, you know, but the thing about Sporting is that you could just feel the sense of panic coming mm. over the game at 1-1. You could feel the tension building as they failed to score. And I hate to do it, but you compare that with the way Porto are playing at the moment and where every single game, they just seem to have this ruthless energy throughout the game. You never feel like they won't score. Uh, and when they find themselves in a situation like against Estoril a couple of weeks ago, when it does start to go wrong, they don't panic. They don't get nervous. They play like a team possessed in order to get three points. And I think that difference in, in attitude, in mentality, in confidence, however you want to describe it, I think that's such a key reason why we're seeing uh, Sporting dropping behind Porto in the title race at the moment. I think yeah, what you said there about the panic that came over Sporting, I think you know what we saw the game as it panned out, it, it got a bit end-to-end. It got quite open and there was lots of turnovers of the ball. I was flabbergasted as as were a lot of people I, I saw on Twitter the fact that Brand Cancer didn't get on the pitch because you know they needed someone to disrupt the momentum, slow the pace down. It sort of goes back to what I was saying last week, Albert, is that I think Amarin does not get the combination of midfielders right. I I think Nunes had a good start to the first half of the game. Where I think obviously the assist in this for um Pote's goal was absolutely delightful. But I think, you know, there should have been a realization from Amarin that that midfielder needs to change in the second half and Brancanza should have got on. The one thing I will say about Braganza Barney is that I know a lot of people were saying, why is Braganza playing ahead of Mateus Nunes? The one thing I was saying in Nunes' defense is that, you know, he's the player that got the assist 
for Pedro Gonzalez's goal. So it's not like he didn't contribute going forward. That said, we've seen how effective Braganza can be uh, in creating chances. So uh, maybe there's an argument there. But then I just go back to what I just said. They created chances anyway. The issue was not creating chances in this game. The issue was uh, not scoring from those chances, I think. And I think they had more than enough opportunities to get goals in this game, opportunities that they didn't take. And that's why they lost the match. Uh, but I think what we saw in this game was one manager who seems quite settled on his tactics and for good reason they've they've brought in fantastic results in the past and then we've seen another manager in Carvajal who we've seen change things over and over and over again sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and in this game it absolutely worked for him and I think it was a you know it was a fantastic game wasn't it it was a fantastic as a neutral it was a, it was a fantastic game to watch so you know we knew it was going to be a great game and, and it really did deliver well, let's talk about Porto, Barney. Obviously, as they did a couple of weeks ago, they capitalised on Sporting's loss by beating Famalicao 3-1 at home and moving six points clear at the top of the table. It was goals from Otavio, Luis Diaz and Taremi that got them the win with a 90th-minute consolation from Riccieli for Famalicao. I pretty much said this already in the discussion about Sporting, Barney, but it was just a very different performance by Porto than that of Sporting. It was a performance where they always looked in control, always looked threatening and never looks like doing anything other than winning this game. Well, they're, they're certainly playing the best football in this league at the moment. There's, there's no doubt about that. I thought Otavio is, once again, absolutely fantastic in this game. You know, we've talked a lot about Diaz and where he, he might move to next. Otavio could be linked with some a big move away. He's stepped up his game this season. And I think there was actually scouts from Man U, Atletico Madrid, Real Sociedad and Dortmund at this game, interestingly. But yeah, the assist for Luis Diaz's goal from Otavio in this game was just phenomenal. And I think... Last season, we were very complimentary of Contrasau's Porto team for being a, a robust team. They all do their job. Mm. They work hard. But what I feel we've started to see is just the evolution of this team. You know, with players like Vitinha instead of Sergio Oliveira, Otavio at wide instead of Corona, Evan Nielsen instead of Morega, Fabio Vera, where, you know, Otavio used to play in the middle. This evolution of this team and seeing these players come in has just turned this Porto team into... It's just lit. It was liquid football in moments, wasn't it? Albert? It was just the the passages of play, the the runs. Someone drops deep. Someone makes a run. You know, the, everyone's positions was rotating at points, and it was just uh, the point I was making there is that conscious is not just a you know. At some point, people called him like a Diego Simeone point. Two, you know, but he's not. He's there's more than that, and there's you know they're playing delightful stuff. It it was a joy to watch. I know that's an overused phrase, and people throw it around a lot, but. That's the truth, you know. We, we watch these games with a little bit of a critical eye. We try and make notes and write down what we think about the game. But honestly, this match, I just sort of sat back, enjoyed it because it was just fantastic football from Sergio Conte's side. Obviously, I know that Family Cow are a weakened team. They only fielded four players on the bench. So not the most imposing opposition for Porto, but they, you know, you can only play what's in front of you. And and as I said in, in my opening statement, the way they played, it could have been, it could have been difficult, it could have been a struggle, but at no point. Was it anything other than a completely dominant performance? And we have spoken about Porto a lot over the last few weeks, so I don't think we're going to go too in-depth on them anymore. But I just want to follow up on something that I mentioned last week, Barney, uh, and that was Bruno Costa, who filled in at right-back, because obviously he was subbed off midway through the first half against Bizad last week, and I sort of didn't enjoy watching that and mentioned it on the pod last week. So he was given a full 90 minutes at right-back in this game, which I was pleased to see, and I thought he had a very, very good game. He had three shots, two on target. He had a 91% pass accuracy. He won four tackles. He had four defensive actions. It was a very good all-round performance. And, you know, I was I was very pleased to see him get 
that 90 minutes and get that great performance under his belt because, as I mentioned last week, he's given a lot to the team by, by being adaptable. I know some Porto fans will say, well, they never asked him to stay. But nonetheless, this is a this is a player who obviously has a great affiliation with the club and, and wants to contribute and he's given it his best shot at right back. Yeah, he was fantastic. And I, what, I think what you know, he offered something a little different from Jamari, I thought, because he, he was happy to come inside a little sometimes. And that, that meant uh, Tavia might go wide or he really, it just added that extra dynamic. I quite liked You mentioned it just there, Albert, as well before about Family Cal being quite heavily down on players with injuries and COVID because it was a weird 11 for me. I mean, I think uh, Ivor Rodriguez was playing left wing back, which I've, I've never seen him do before. And yeah, there was because, you know, due to the fact that players like Banza was out, Penetra was suspended, Diego Figueras, the right back was um, out as well. But, but still, I think like it's a really strange team, Family Cal, this season, isn't it? I know that lots of fans are saying after the game they need to sign more players, which seems quite funny when you think about the amount of players they've signed over the past few minutes. But it, it, it is true. And I think, you know, because of the nature of the club, you know, they do a lot of signings, but not all of them come off. For Marco Polo, the the Brazilian striker on loan from Vesca Madrid, you know, he's been quite disappointing. It was hard to pick out players who had a good game. Obviously, they got the goal from Rakelli, who I think has actually actually has made a, a step up as a as one of the defenders. He's 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 stepped up in recent uh, months. Actually, as becoming a, a you know when Penetra was coming through, he's come back and got his spot in that back four and looks quite good. That was one thing Albert, I did write write down for a criticism of Porto is that the last two goals they conceded has been from a corner, and I think. I feel bad at signaling our players, but Cardoso is both times has been the man, the person losing his man. You know, fair to say we both got a bit of a soft spot for Cardoso. We liked him at Santa Clara last year, but I think, you know, the suggestion amongst both journalists and, and Porto fans alike is that perhaps this is a, a, a level too far. You know, as we, as you were alluding to in the transfers section, uh, Porto signed a lot of players from average Portuguese sides and not all of them have come off. I think the jury is out on Fabio Cardoso, but he has struggled. I was slightly less critical of Family Cow, actually, Barney. And, and, and I thought they had a good second half. I thought Rui Pedro Souza, you know, he's had five games in, in charge. This was his first loss, by the way, so that's not bad at all. He gave two debuts to players uh, in this game. So obviously a much changed side. The second half, I thought they were much more competitive. You know, I think they showed that they could cause problems for Porto. Maybe if they played the way they played in the second half in the first half, the game would have been a bit more of a contest. But of course, three-one, the game's end. The game ends, and I don't think the result was ever in doubt. The obvious question we have to ask now, Barney, is: Is the title race over? You know, because it's a six-point gap, but such a long way to go. Porto still got another game against Sporting to come. Sixteen games left. I think it's way too early to rule anything out. And it's funny because I was messaging Tom Kunda in the week, Barney, and he was saying that. He feels about Porto now, the way you mentioned feeling about Benfica earlier in the season. I'm sorry to bring it up. I know you don't like it being brought up too much. <laughs> but he was saying, you know, he feels the way about Porto that you felt about Benfica earlier in the season, where when you watch them play, you just can't see how they're going to lose a game. You know, you get that feeling against about Porto now when you watch them play. You just think, what team can, can touch them? But then look what happened to Benfica. Look how easily it can change. You know, anything can happen, be it injuries, suspensions, loss in form. So for me, it is far too early to say anything definitive about how the season will end. But what we can say with certainty uh, is that Porto are, at this moment in time, the best team in the league and the team playing the best football. I think the thing that they've got going for them, though, Albert, is the amount of goals they're scoring. 
and chances they're creating. You know, they could have easily had several more goals in this game. I think this is the highest goal tally for at this point of the season since the, the 1930s. Like, they are really um, electric going forward. And I think that's the difference between what we've seen with um, Benfica and Sporting is the fact that, you know, they because they're not as clinical in front of goal, they're not creating as many chances. It only takes a few defensive errors to, to them to trip up. If, if, if Porto had make a few defensive errors, they're still probably going to win with a couple goal cushion, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, yeah they're looking fantastic, man. They're, they're so, so good. No, we definitely both enjoyed enjoyed watching that game. I think it was a, a really, really special performance. Well, let's quickly, quickly talk about Benfica, Barney. Uh, just to round up our conversation about the big three, they played a Ruker at the weekend. They won the game 2-0, but for a game which ended with them winning, it was another far from convincing performance. I think it has to be said, First half penalty from Darwin made it 1-0 and it stayed that way right up until the 91st minute uh, when a lovely free kick from Granado is touched in by Gonzalo Ramos to make it 2-0 and a much more comfortable looking scoreline than I think reflected the game because let's not forget that Aruka had a penalty saved early in the match so the whole thing could have been much more complicated for Benfica but three points nonetheless but plenty of homework for Benfica to be doing on the training ground. I wanted to read out a, a tweet from a Friend of the show, Cristiano Oliveira, he made uh, he does the Benfica podcast. He, he put this out after the game. He said, week after week, I come in here and I see Benfica fans clamouring for youth player A, youth player B or C, D or F or so to, to play regular minutes on the first team. I just hope they're not the first ones in line to wave the, the white flags when the results aren't what we expected. And I think that's a really interesting. It's sort of what we were talking about last week, isn't it? I was like, where do people want them to go? You know, Do they want to bring in loads of youngsters or do they want to try and get more results and, and close the gap. I think Verismo in this game did neither. I think, yes, Paolo Bernardo got on and he had a good game. He's quite exciting in that midfield, but then Morato wasn't given an opportunity. You know, then there was Juremczyk starting up top, but then getting taken off. It was, Once again, it was just a messy team. It didn't seem like they had a, a, a set plan. And I, I'm going to say it again, Albert, Rafa, what has happened to him? If you were comparing Rafa to Luis Diaz, yeah? Rafa's got more goal and assist contributions than Luis Diaz, creates more big chances than Luis Diaz, and he's completes more dribbles than Luis Diaz. You know, he's up there for being one of the best players in this league. In this game, he had 33 touches in this game. It's not good enough. Someone needs to tell Rafa that the Christmas holidays ended three weeks ago, mate, because he's not turned up. He's not turned up in 2022. It's outrageous the way that his, his form has, has dropped so much. And I think, how can you be so ineffectual in games when, you know, he wants to be one of the best players in the league. He wants to be that player that's linked with the big clubs. And you're so right to, you're so right to compare him to Luis Diaz. I think back to, you know, when Luis Diaz uh, was playing against AC Milan in the Champions League and, and we thought, wow, what a player this guy is. He's doing it on a bigger stage. But he will do it at Vizela on a Sunday night. Do you know what I mean? He, he will go after teams and make sure that he is the main man on the pitch, no matter who he's playing. Rafa just looks like he doesn't fancy it anymore. He doesn't. He, he, he doesn't look. He's not good enough. I disagree. I, my point about that wasn't about Rafa as a person. I think my point is the the formation he's being played in, the way he's being used. It's obviously been a change in system since Verismo has taken over, and that's he's got his right to make to change the system if he wants. But I don't think it brings out the best in Rafa. I I I, I, I can't agree that I think 
a good player will contribute wherever you play him on the pitch. You know, the best players will want to make an impact no matter whether, you know, and we're not talking about playing him at left back. It's either right wing or right midfield. These are, these are marginal differences. So I think, I think that's letting him off the hook too easily. If he wants to be a big player, if he wants to be one of the, one of the, the best players in the league, then he needs to take a leaf out of Luis Diaz book and, and start putting in good performances against uh, smaller teams. Juremchuk Barney, anonymous, not good enough. You know, this is a big money signing and he's just not performing. And another name, unfortunately, Paolo Bernardo. God knows I never want to criticise a young player. He had a first half to forget. And that's a name that people have wanted in the team. And you have to look at the games he's played recently. And I can't really think of a contribution that he's made. Fair play to him. He was much better in the second half. And I think from what I'm led to believe from those who've watched him much closer than me, that in the second half, he played much closer to his, his natural position. But I think it's true, We're going back to what, what you were talking about, they've tried bringing in the young players, it hasn't worked. They've tried the big money signings, it's not worked. Nothing is working. I think there's too many players all over that team, be it young players, senior players, star players, whatever it is, there are too many players whose level of performance is so far lower than what it should be if Benfica want to be a competitive top three team. I do think, Albert, we've got to um, give some credits to Aruka because I think they did play a good game against Benfica. You know, you look at how they limited the attackers getting touches. Like I mentioned, Rafa had 33 touches. Remzik had eight touches in the one half. Darwin had 20 touches in this game. But Otamendi had 123 touches. So they were played a good game in letting, you know, the defence have the ball. But, you know, not not being able to find the passes out from defence. I've got to say, the penalty for Benfica, I thought was a little harsh, but, you know, once again, we're talking about penalties that I understand why it was given. I do have to say, though, Asensio going at the other end, where he, I think he could have got a shot away because I think he decided to go for the penalty. You saw him like decide to get his body. It was a tight angle, but I, I just in the moment, I felt like he should have gone for the goal rather than try and get the pen. I think because of the nature of the incident, because it's a goalkeeper mistake, I think he's thinking about the penalty straight away, though. You know, he's thinking that there's an opportunity there. And, and you know, any player will... will... <laughs> expect to score from the penalty spot so the fact that they didn't that was a real shame you know they had a real opportunity there to uh, get something back again you know I, I think they were slightly unlucky and I think Benfica getting two goals compared to Aruka getting zero is slightly is a slight imbalance based on the actual performances that we saw from these two teams I'm not saying Benfica should have lost the game maybe you know on another day Aruka get a draw out of this match but you know I was going to say this should be a wake-up call for Benfica, but they've had wake-up calls week after week for a good couple of months now. So, you know, I don't know at what point something changes and, and this team turns around their season because, you know, it, it's been it's been pretty dire recently. I, I, I will give them one positive, Barney. I will give them one positive. I was delighted to see Gonzalo Ramos score. I think he's needed a goal so badly to boost his confidence and he's had some good performances without getting that reward of the goal. So I was delighted that he got on the score sheet and, you know, he's a player that I like. You know, we talk about Benfica youth players that can make a difference. He's an academy prospect that I believe could make a difference uh, in this Benfica team. So hopefully he gets a few more goals and gets a few more opportunities. Yeah, he, he certainly should be potentially starting alongside Darwin for me. Albert, I'll just leave you with um, this one thing about Aruka because they've had a bit of a torrid time recently, a lot of losses. Mm. I think the coach, I saw on Twitter, the coach, Armando Evangelista, has been given a grace period until the next match of his which is against Estrel. And apparently if he does not win that, he will be expelled and coach Lito Vidigal appointed. <laughs> Where have you read this? 
I've got my sources, man. I've got my sources. <laughs> but look, you know, they have had a bit of a tough time. You know, two games before this was the 6-0 loss against Praga. Then they had the 2-1 loss against Bsad. They're mm. in a real bad moment. And I think this is always an excuse we give to the smaller teams. They have had a lot of players out, a lot of players missing. You know, particularly Andre Silva and Ole Dagba, their two goal scorers in this game. But it's, it, they're going through a bit of a tough run and perhaps they need a, that change of manner. <laughs> oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Barney, well, let's get into where all the action was last week. The fight for Europe and the battle for fifth place uh, with two massive games that happened at the weekend. Vittoria versus Estoril and Gil Vicente versus Porto Menens. Both games played on Sunday. We'll start with the game that came first. Vittoria 3, Estoril 1. Vittoria trailed 1-0 at halftime, but three second half goals and an encouraging performance throughout saw them take a vital three points and overtake Estoril into sixth place. I was really encouraged by the performance from Vittoria in this game. I think they were positive throughout. They showed attacking intent. And despite going the goal down, they remained focused. They kept pushing to score. And I think they were rewarded with, it's fair to say, it's a, it's a massive result for them at this point in the season. Yeah, definitely. I think it was their most, I want to say mature performance, Albert, because we've mm. seen a lot of combination of players, a lot of young players coming in occasionally. Seems like a team working out who they are, who they want to be. But, you know, if you look at the 11, Andre Andre coming back into that midfield, obviously going with a stupid up top, who had a, a great game. It just felt like a, a performance you expect from Vittorio de Grimmarish. And and there's a couple of players I want to talk about, but the person who stood out for me really was Jean Vierne in midfield. I thought this was a real, it was, just, it was just a hell of a display from him, the best I've seen. And, and, you know, he had the most touches by a player in midfield, four shots, two on target, five key passes. He's an interesting player for me, Albert, because we saw what Pepper did with Bruno Costa in midfield for Pastor Ferro last season. You know, he found a player who he gave him license to, to play and he reaped the rewards. Jean-Vier could be that man for him the rest of the season. You know, it's, it has been interesting how Andre Almeida, the young hot prospect who we saw so much of last season, hasn't really made that step up this season. So there is an opportunity for perhaps Jean-Vier to, to take that place and, and and thrive because in this game, I mean, man, he was he was absolutely on fire. He's an interesting one as well, isn't he? Because we, we had a lot of conversations last season about Victoria and, the, and their transfer policy, about the kind of players they were signing about them bringing in a lot of players from, from European clubs, not Portuguese players, not experienced in Portuguese league, and a lot of them not working. I think often last season, because Jovia didn't really make an impact last year, he was kind of lumped into that conversation. I did think towards the end of last season, we started to see what he could offer to the team. And definitely this season, as it's gone on, he's contributed more and more. He's made himself a key part of that midfield. And I think you're perfectly right to sum it up as his best performance in a Victoria shirt you know since he's been at the club fantastic for him and fantastic for Victoria to as you say play the way that we hoped they would play because we've criticized them so much recently you know they struggled in a game of very similar importance against Gil Vicente a couple of weeks ago they only managed to draw against Porto Menens a team in and around their position last week uh, they had another draw against a team like Boa Vista not that long ago. So they have underperformed a lot recently, but this game, they just looked determined. They looked confident. Uh, and I think that kind of positive mindset is something we haven't seen from them in recent weeks. I do think, Barney, that the result of this game was is in no short, was in no small part down to the returns 
of Rashinia and Edwards. Interestingly, Rashinia started the game on the bench, uh, but when he came on in the second half, he scored obviously a phenomenal goal, a, a complete, a fantastic long-range shot. Um, and it was the second half where himself and Edwards, to be fair, and Ustupanan definitely linking up those three. I thought that link up, which we've seen have so much promise this season, saw Victoria have arguably their most successful half of football this season. There is a player, though, that I feel sorry for in that situation, Ruben Lomeras, because he came in to fill in while Rashina is out, while Edwards is out. He was the next player to come in. He started the last four games, and previous to that, he'd only featured sporadically throughout the season. He failed to register a goal or assist in any of those four games. It just looked like it didn't quite click for him. Maybe he was trying a bit too hard. For whatever reason, it's a shame that a player like like him, who's kind of been on the fringes of that team, wasn't able to grab that opportunity and get himself into the side. And I think with Rashinia coming back in the way that he did, I think that position seems to be going straight back to Rashinia. Do you think it's interesting, Albert, that you know when he moved to Vittorio from Family Cow, obviously at Family Cow he was you know, their right winger. He, he was always on the right, cutting him with that left foot of his. But when he moved to here, and maybe I'm looking too much into it, but the fact that he took the number eight shirt, traditionally you think of a number eight playing through the middle, whether there was discussions with him about, you know, because, you know, Vittorio have always had fantastic wingers. You know, they've had great wingers in their squad. So they, it was going to be hard for him to get in one of those starting positions. Whether there was discussions about him t- taking up a more central role, um, I, I think I can't, to my memory, he played at their central position once or twice. You know, I don't want to talk too much about, but, but, but what I'm suggesting is perhaps he might need to have a look at himself and he's got the skill, he's got, you know, to, to, to play a, uh, a central role, in my opinion. So maybe he needs to look at that as an option for himself. He mentioned the stupid in there, but I, I feel like I keep fitting between absolutely rating him and thinking that he's not good enough for Vittoria. Yeah, and yeah. the more I think about it, and particularly on this performance as well, he's a solid striker at the end of the day in this league, isn't he? You know he's going to get a few goals here and there. Perhaps we wanted to see a few more, but I think all things considered, you know, I think you know this guy is a, a decent striker. The one thing that I've always said about Estupinan is that he needs service, right? He's not a player who's going to create opportunities for himself. He needs service in and around the 18-yard box, be that crosses that he can head in, or as we saw in this game, a couple of scrappy chances where, to be fair to him, you know, chances that were only half chances and he's managed to, to make into goal-scoring chances with his determination. Very physical player. I think that's a very useful attribute to have when you're playing a lone striker up front. So I think there's definitely a role for him, but he's not a world-beating striker who's going to create chances out of nowhere, give you world-class finishes from outside the box, you know. But if you play to his strengths, which is what I think happens when Edwards and Machine play either side of him, I think he will, you know, he'll get you 10, 15 goals a season at that rate. And we've seen quite a few times, haven't we? You know, Edwards getting to the byline, cutting it in yeah. and, and, and someone getting on the end of it. So, yeah, um, we've talked about how it was a, a great from Victoria to sort of go a goal down and have the ability to turn it around and win it. Because, you know, this was also a huge game for Estoril. And you mm. saw their celebrations after their goal, which was a, an absolutely beautiful goal in the way that it was, you know, a lovely assist from Barrow and a great finish from Andre Franco. But, yeah, this was a big game for them. And it's... It's a, it's a it's another loss, and you know there's some big games coming up for them in the future as well. They've got Aruka, Passos, Marito, and Tondela, and on the run they've been on, you know they're going to want at least three wins from that to sort of get the momentum going for them again. Yeah, I think Estoril obviously would have wanted to emulate Gil Vicente by beating Vitoria. Maybe Vitoria and Porto Menendez at the moment. You can see them as the two teams in that race for fifth place that 
are the ones that could be cut adrift. They would obviously have wanted to arrest a, a semi-bad run of form that they'd been on. It didn't quite happen. But I did think there were one or two positives. Um, you mentioned the goal, obviously, fantastic goal. I think we've mentioned a couple of great goals in this game. So if anyone has not watched the highlights, do go and watch them because there's some there's some good goals to, to see in this game. But the assist came from Romario Barrow. Um, I thought he had quite a good game. I quite liked him. I think it's encouraging to see him performing well because obviously he's a young player with so much promise. I think he's a player that you know a lot of people are hoping to see do well. Uh, and I think he had a good game, so they can get more good performances out of him. And obviously, Andre Franco continuing to to bang in the goals, another positive. But ultimately, I think this is just a result that Esther are going to have to take on the chin, as it were. Oh, but on Barrow, because I I agree with you. When I was w- watching it, I, he caught my eye. You know, he, mm. you, you're drawn to him. And like, like we said, that assist was absolutely delightful. But he also gives the ball away a lot. You know, a victorious second goal came from him losing it just as they Estor were about to go on the counter and it just sort of left them really open and vulnerable. And obviously, Victoria scored. You know, he only made 16 passes in this game and had a pass accuracy of 68%, which is one of the lowest from any player on the pitch. And he was dispossessed five times and he had four unsuccessful touches. Oh, wow. But, <laughs> but, but he can come up with an assist like that, like a moment of magic. And that's the player he is, isn't he? And with Andre Franco in this Estoril team, he's been asked to play a sort of slightly deeper midfield role. But I really think his his talent, his his best best position is, is further forward where there's not so much responsibility in him. And you can sort of give him a sort of, is, is the face a looser leash? You know, just, you know, he doesn't have, he's not, not demanding too much of him. Because he's he's special, man. He's got He's got a real talent. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to bring things to such an abrupt ending, but um, unfortunately, it was at this point during editing the show that I found out that the rest of the audio had been corrupted. It was very disappointing because myself and Barney went on to discuss Gil Vicente versus Porto Menens and then also Tondela versus Vizela, two fantastic games and two games which had a big impact on, on the league table this week and two games that me and Barney were really excited. So unfortunately, it was a technical issue that we didn't foresee uh, and was unavoidable at this time so I promise next week we will get back to those uh, four teams involved and and bring you up to date with everything that's happening in the Premier League table that fight for European places and uh, what's happening in the relegation battle Uh, so just a quick one to round up and say on behalf of myself and Barney thank you very much for listening to this episode I hope you enjoyed uh, what you heard sorry once again for the technical issues um, but thank you very much for listening. We'll, we'll see you next week, hopefully for a full uninterrupted episode.